I've been lucky enough to meet and become friends with a lot of people that are, through their profession, sometimes larger than life. This episode's guest, Victor Cruz, is one of those people. Although we've known each other for several years, what I didn't know was his backstory, how he got to be the person who I met, what his life is like growing up, and the things that shaped the person he is today. So we're going to get into all of that in this next episode. Check it out. Welcome. Yo, man, so... I'm just getting my feet wet in here, man. So, you know, you're going to bear with me a little bit. I know you're the professional in many, many ways. You know? But um, welcome to Mask Off. Appreciate you know? it. Um, today, we got a, a special guest, friend. Um, long know? time. Long, long time. time a few one. years. I was, I was actually thinking about that. We're going to get to that one because I want to I wanna decipher when that was. Okay. So I'm like, I was trying to figure that one out. But we got a son, a father, a Super Bowl champion, pro bowler. Style maven, fashion connoisseur. <laughs> One of the biggest smiles you'll ever see that lights up every fucking room he walks in. I'm going to call him a part-time model also because oh, you might see him man. on a bunch of pages. And he also is the host of the Victor Cruz show on Uninterrupted. Welcome to the show, Victor Cruz. What's going on, baby? I'm chilling, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Took a second, though. Took you a know. little minute. A couple of snow days. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's spring, bro. But just like school, they're going to make you get them snow days back, one way or another. <laughs> I mean, it's spring. What would you expect? <laughs> spring in New York, you spring never in know. New York, you know. Never know I nowadays. Mean, you know, April, you're rocking Tim's. Exactly. Breaking fur line Tim's out in April. In April. It's crazy. You know, it is what it is, though, man. Um, so... Getting into this show, you know, kind of, we've talked about this a little bit, but I'll, I'll kind of, you know, give you the whole background, man. So a few years ago, I went through some kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, self-doubt, some anxiety, some depression, mm -hmm. you know, probably around the time when we first met. Mm -hmm. So you may not know this me now, mm -hmm. like coming out of, of that situation. Um, but when I kind of, last year, I kind of, uh, a light went off in my head and, and I don't know what it was. It was a sign. It was something, but it was a flash. So I woke up one day and was like, I'm on a mission. It happened to be July 1st, which my birthday was the 10th, so numbers and all this weird shit started coming in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when I grew up, I was always taught it's a stronger person that's able to talk about these kinds of things, um, to able to express their emotions and, and, you know, as a man, just, you know, get it out there. But when I went into it, I didn't. I shut down, I isolated. And um, when I came out, I was like, yo, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I don't do that again. And I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna do that again. I'm gonna actually be vocal about this process and this journey I'm starting now. Mm -hmm. So as I started becoming more vocal about it, people started reaching out to me. And um, you know, the first part was always, "Yo, I never would have believed that. Your Hawaii Mike, you're always out, you're always chilling. I, you know, I never would have got that from you." And then two, they would be like, "But yo, since we're on the topic, yo, I went through this. So I've been going mm -hmm. through this." And then the best part about it was how they got through it. Mm -hmm. That was always my favorite. And, um, and so I started looking. I was like, yo, nobody's talking about this, but people are talking to me and people are talking about it singularly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're products of our environment. And you look around, I'm a product of hip-hop. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of us are. And amongst other things, but hip-hop is a driving force. Hip-hop is the driving force of popular culture right now. Absolutely. Number one, I just got rated the number one genre, right? I mean, Let's be clear. We all knew that. We all knew that. It's been that. Yeah, they're just coming out and saying it to us now. We yeah, knew that already. Yeah, we've always spent the most money. We've yep. always done all of those things, right? But we don't support, and we don't put these kinds of topics out there. Mm -hmm. And um, if we're the most influential culture, let's change the conversation. Let's change that narrative, man. Exactly. Because nobody's, like, perfect. We all go through things, mm -hmm. no matter how successful and that may be money, that may be, you know, uh, career, yep. status, you know, all of those things. I mean, we all go. I mean, you saw Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and all these people, and it's all different levels. But the thing is, we're all human, and it's okay, mm -hmm. right? And so what I want to do with this is just have conversations, man. So, you know, get to know the people, and especially the people I know, I look up to and I already admire, I fuck with, like, yeah. all my peoples. Because, again... We all go through it. So how do we get through it together? And then how do we share those things and, and pass those tools on to everybody else? Right? Exactly. Because, I mean, we should be given a manual or a playbook mm -hmm. or something as kids. We're taught how to take tests. Never. <laughs> right? But life lessons are learned through life and, exactly. and living. Mm -hmm. Right? So to start, let's just go back to Patterson, New Jersey. Let's paint a picture of, of life growing up, man. Life growing up for me, man, was was fun, man. I had a lot of fun growing up. Um, I grew up on a one-way street, 
with about six or seven boys that were all kind of around my age, maybe five years gap between all of us. Uh, we were all within five years of one another. And we just played, man. Um, anything under the sun, any game you can name, we played it. We tried it. Um, we did it all. And then, you know, when I went to school, I started off at a Catholic school uh, for the first three years. And then fourth grade, I went to a public school. So I went from, like, the, the most Catholic school, pre- I mean, you know, uniform, nuns as teachers. One of the nuns, this is still in the time where one of the nuns could, like, could like hit you, like Are slap you in rulers? the back of the head. Rulers. <laughs> she kept me in from gym class one time, make me kneel in the corner the entire gym period because I was, I don't know, I was acting up or being bad or something like that. It was, oh, yeah. and then you transfer that that transition from that Catholic school to a Patterson public school. It was night and day. Like literally, I heard my first curse word in the playground. I looked around like. They, y'all can say that here? Like, <laughs> hold up. Like, you just said that out loud to me. Like, nobody reprimanded you or nothing? And, you know, I remember saying my first curse word right after that, just murmuring it out real quick just to make sure <laughs> everything, you know, just to make sure everything, everything's co-vestetic. Um, But, yeah, man, I grew up to a Puerto Rican household with my mom, my grandmother, my grandfather. My younger sister came later. around. Uh, I was around eight or nine years old when she was born. And then on my father's side, I had an older brother and an older sister that I would see all the time as well. Um, so yeah, my childhood was fun, man. I mean, it, it wasn't until I got, you know, I had some, I had some things throughout my childhood that weren't the greatest. I remember my friend Gary died of a uh, a drive-by bullet when I was like in sixth grade, fifth wow. or sixth grade. And even to this day, I remember that feeling of when they told me he died or got shot or whatever. It was just like, well, what does that mean? Like, how does? What is a drive-by? Like, what are yeah. y'all talking about? You know what I'm saying? How, and I just, how old were you at the time? I was fifth grade. I had to oh, be like, what, 10? Like yeah, something yeah, like 10, that? 9, wow. 10? Yeah. And I'm just like, what do you mean Gary died? Like, where'd he go? Like, what are you talking about? Like, we got school tomorrow. Like, I'm not going to... He sat like maybe like eight eight seats away from me. And I was towards the back of the class. He was like towards the front right. And I remember, you know, joking with him and him being just a part of the crew. And it was just like for him to just be gone the next day was wild to me. Yeah. I mean, but was that part of the circumstances in the hood in Patterson? Exactly. I mean, I mean it is what it is. I mean, even in it, its escalate, and and that was kind of the you know the first brush I had with it as a kid. And it wasn't until you know now in the last maybe ten fifteen years where Patterson has just gotten out of control. Like straight bullets are hitting kids, older women, just uh, all the bullets that the all the guns that the bullets are being atten- intended for. Mm-hmm are not hitting those people. They're hitting yep. other kids. They're hitting the innocent people that have nothing to do with what, whatever fake thing that y'all got going on anyway. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So it, it was definitely always just a microcosm of just being in Patterson and my mother making it, you know, clear that she wanted me to come in the house at a certain time because, you know, shit goes on at a certain hour outside. You know, when you're just outside and, you know, you just get bottled up into that life and just being out with your friends, you're not really seeing the danger. You're not really understanding the danger. But one... One wrong left turn on a block, and you right in the heart of something. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And without even knowing it. So, and that's where obviously sports came into play. And my mom was like, "Are right, you gonna be? We gonna occupy your time the right way? Because if we don't, you're liable to go out in the streets and do God knows what." So that was a that was the intent to put you in sports to take you away or keep you protected. Exactly. So First, that was that was your mom's choice. That was mom's choice. So it wasn't you saying I want. It wasn't me. I was always. I mean, I was a sporty kid, so I always wanted to do whatever. I played basketball, side football, whatever. I always wanted to do something. Um, so her put me in like an organized sport. It was like, okay, I'll try it. Like you know, I, my mother's Puerto Rican. I, if I told her no, it was like <laughs> there's no such thing as telling my mom no. Yeah. Like especially as a kid. So you know, karate was first, and I just it was a luxury for me because I lived upstairs from the karate school, mm. and then we played on that block. So I didn't go anywhere. I would literally go on the block, the bodega. My grandmother had a tab there, so I'd go and you know buy whatever <laughs> and be like, put it on well, that's tab. We good. And then I'd go three, I think it was two to three times a week. I'd just go right upstairs and go to, uh, you know, go to karate school for an hour and then keep it moving. That, that was your mom's luxury. She knew, where, she knew where she, you were all the time, exactly. right in that area, man. Exactly. What about the people? Like, what about the OGs in your hood? Was it, did they, did you take to them? Did they influence you in any kind of way? Yeah, so my OGs was my my grandfather, who was not my blood grandfather, but she, he was my grandmother's husband since I was born, so he was yeah, my yeah, grandfather, yeah, pretty yeah, much. For sure. So we would go out, and he would just take me. He was like super OG, right? Like played dominoes every Saturday. He walked around with no shirt on, like 
like literally no shirt on in the Not house. The wife beater, no, no, shirt. no, no, no shirt, <laughs> boxers up, brown slacks with the foot with the penny loafers on. Hell yeah. So if it was summertime, he's no shirt. If it was wintertime, he's just putting a cardigan on. Not a shirt. Not like an undershirt, <laughs> under the cardigan, just a cardigan, legit. And you knew it was a holiday because he wore his red button down. He had the one red button down every holiday, whether it was Easter, Christmas, New so Year's. that's where you got your style from? Kind of. So my favorite color is red, <laughs> and I think it's because of him seeing that red shirt all the time. Um, but he would take me around, and then all the OGs would kind of take me under their wing. And I could just, I, I just loved, the biggest thing I loved was how they moved, right? They never, you never saw them in a rush. You never saw them like out of character or like yelling or like upset unless they were scoppy cool and they putting the domino <laughs> down. Um, so those type of things were like so ill to me. And that's the biggest things I got from them. And obviously the gems that they taught me throughout, you know, throughout my time and how he took care of me. He walked me to, he walked me to the bus stop every day. Like they just, he just took care of me. And, they, and the way they moved and the way they treated one another with respect and, and dignity and and, you know, like-mindedness um i took that from him and and, and all the ogs where i grew up that's sure. just that's dope and so when when did the sports happen in between that so sports happened so karate started at seven years old and then i played baseball at seven years old as well i started baseball that same year and obviously in this in the uh, later season and then basketball came i always played basketball obviously with my friends in the street but organized came like nine nine ten years old so you did the whole gamut you was just and then football came at 11 busy. years old. So, like, I was, like, every season I was busy. I had yep. no time to, like, be out after school, be running around. I had no time. After school was practice. Then you come home, I had to do some form of homework. And then the next day was school and then, you know, karate practice. So I had to I had to balance all these things at a young age. That's that's dope. When did um did you start playing? What was the first sport you played at at school? First sport I played in school was basketball. It was basketball? Yeah, it was basketball. You played all all the sports in school too? Played all the sports in school, basketball, baseball. Um, um obviously I was still in karate until right before high school. So I played all I played every sport. So you still got hands now? I could throw. Yeah. I mean once you learn <laughs> Did you I make was, it to a I was belt? a black belt oh, at yeah, twelve. Okay. I was one of the youngest I mean, I don't like I don't wanna go in. I was one of the youngest black belts on the East Coast at the time. I was like twelve years old as a black belt. And then um and then I was like, you know, I was, you know, you start feeling yourself. You're yeah, liking yeah. girls at the time. Yeah. You're like, yo, I'm about to be a freshman in high school. I can't be going to karate. I can't be telling girls, yo, what you doing today? I'm going to karate <laughs> school. They're like, what? They're like, you want to kick it? They're like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, like, so I was just like, man. And it just felt right. It felt like, I think I must say in, in my life, I've always known or felt when it's time to move on from something, mm -hmm. when it's time to transition and like, you know, open yourself up to something else or something okay. better and bigger. And I knew that it was time for me to kind of reposition and transition from karate to do something else. And that's where that's where football kind of came in and kind of took kind of took over. Did that discipline though in karate stick with you? One hundred percent. It what, still does. What's, what's the one thing that, that blaringly sticks out to you? So it was so so the biggest <laughs> thing was was learning the playbook, right? So in karate school, it wasn't just like okay, we teach you kicks, punches, and yep. forms. We had to learn in order for us to test out of every level. Mm -hmm. We had to learn a certain part of this manual. Mm -hmm. And it was the, you know, we had the seven characteristics of a Taekwondo artist. Yep. And, you know, the six levels of respect that you had to learn. So we had to learn increments of this. It was like maybe five pages or so front back. But we had to learn. So if you were going up to, you were testing for the green belt, you had to learn up until this point. Yep. And if you're testing for, a, you know, a black belt, you had to learn the whole thing. But over time, you learn it all. And that repetition and that learning that and that discipline knowing that I'm not going to be able to go to the next bell if I don't learn this like the right way and my mother's paying money for this and like this is for real um and that discipline that level of discipline really carried over to everything that I did whether it be football learning the playbook or basketball learning plays and trying to figure out how we do this and getting these game sheets and things that we used to do and just that that discipline that karate taught me really goes a long way, and I still use it to this day with whether it's a business venture or a collaborative thing that I'm doing with like another brand or whatever it is. Did they really call it a playbook, or was it a? Or nah, is that just your kind it was of like a manual. manual. They said it was okay. our Taekwondo manual. Okay. Make sure you bring your Taekwondo manuals. Blah, blah blah blah. It was one of those. That's. I mean, you know, karate is discipline. One hundred percent. Balance. Mm -hmm. Right. Tons of balance. Focus. Yep. Right. You got to focus. Yep. All of those things are heavy. Yep. In football. Yeah. So when did football become the thing? 
So football became the thing. So I was around 11 years old when I started playing football. And I didn't know, I mean, I knew what football was, but I didn't know how to play, really. I was just, you know, they put me as a, <laughs> as a defensive lineman. <laughs> Actually, I was an offensive lineman. My first game, I was a center. Oh, but you was super peewee at that super, time. Yeah, of yeah, course, yeah, super yeah. peewee. I didn't know. I'm just <laughs> snapping the ball. I'm like, they're like, keep the guys in front of you. I'm like, okay, I guess. And then my dad, I remember my dad, he was a coach on the team. Okay. One of the coaches. And he begged the head coach. He was like, yo, put my son at running back. Just put him back there one time. Give him the ball. See what happens. If he, you know, if he if he fumbles and falls down awkwardly, like, whatever, you don't have to give him the ball again. But if he, you know, let's see what he does. Let's see what his talent level yeah. is. So they put me at fullback, and they gave me, like, 21 dive. i never forget it. Turn around. <laughs> you get the ball straight up the one hole. You turn around, gives you the ball. I get the ball. I look at the one hole. I literally stop. And then I turn left and to go around, and I juke like three dudes and took it 65 yards for a touchdown. Nice. And I was just like, okay, I think I could do, I think I could do something here. I think this works. So I think it was that moment that had me like, okay, I like this game. I don't mm-hmm. know. You know, at that age, I didn't know where it could have taken me, but I like this game. I want to play. I was playing with my older brother at the time. It was like our last year really playing together from our age differences. And, um, and I was having a good time. And then that's when I knew like, Okay, this is serious. And as I got better, as I got to high school, and the game was just, the game was always easy for me, mm-hmm. even high school. Then I got to college, and you kind of get nervous, but your freshman year, you kind of go out there and play, you gauge everybody. I was like, oh, I could do this. And it was always just came easy for me. And then I got to the league, and then I just, you know, at every level, it was just a blessing on how I was just being able to get better and better and, and really and really be able to just hone in on my skill and, and focus on that as, as I got older. Talk about your coach in high school, yo. I know he was a big part of your life, right? Yeah, heavy so coach Wimbledon. That, that influence, the second kind of father figure for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Um, what, was, what was the kind of guidance that he gave you? Was it actually coaching the football or you feel it was more life? It was, de- it, it was both. It was football, but, you know, the things that he would say to us definitely applied to life as well. The same with my Taekwondo instructor. He would say things and to us that applied for the moment, but you could also apply it to the rest of your life. And I think that's what Coach Wimbley did. And he he still texts me almost every morning with like a little quote or something to just keep me going and keep me, you know, keep my head above water and things like that. So I just remember, man, just us being together as as a football team and him just, you know, using people as as examples for you to learn from and using himself and just different ways that I was like, this is crazy. Like I used to think he was crazy back in the day. But now, being older, being an adult, it's like, I know why he did all that, you know? But it seems like you listened. So were you a good student in school? Uh, I was not. But I mean, I wasn't a bad student. I was just I was just average. I was just cool with, like, getting through getting through school. And, and I paid for it later, obviously. Like, I had to go to prep school. And, I, you know, I failed out, of, uh, failed out of UMass twice because... And it wasn't because I was a smart kid. I was very, you know, I, I was very smart. I knew how to speak. I was very articulate. I was always that. It was always just, you know, I was on a football team. I'm like, they're going to pass me anyway. Like, they're going to figure out <laughs> well, a way you took for, it for, granted. for me. They're going to figure out a way for me to be on the field. You know what I'm saying? So I, I took it for granted, man. And it wasn't until, like, it was two strikes against me going back to that school and it was a third strike. And I was like, okay, I got to get it together. And then I came back, I chose a major, graduated 3.6 GPA, and blah, 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 and here I am. What did it take for you to apply yourself, though, right? Because it sounded like you had everything lined up. Mm-hmm. What What was the thing that made you go, all right, I, I can't fuck around it, I got to do this shit, and see that, was it at that point also that you saw you had a chance to get to the league? Mm-hmm. Was, did you feel that way at that point, too? I, I, I did think I had a chance. Um, I was a realist, though. I knew, I knew there was a strong chance I wasn't going to get drafted. I knew I was going to have to make a team. I knew I was going to have to get a free agent possibility tryout and make a team. So I was very realistic uh, with that. What clicked for me was when there were two times, the both times where I got kicked out of school. The first time was like, all right, I'm going to fix it. I'll figure it out, whatever. Got back, was still behind the eight ball, got kicked home, got kicked out again. And that one was rough because in that same year, my grandfather and father both passed away. Damn. My father committed suicide. My, my grandfather had colon cancer. And my grandfather could have beat it, but he's just he's just a, a old school Puerto Rican mm-hmm. that's like you ain't yep. putting your finger yep. nowhere over yep. here, yep. bro. Yep. I, I'll, yep. I I'll bear the pain. <laughs> you ain't putting your finger nowhere <laughs> over here. And you know it. You know, and in all honesty, that that costed him his life. You yeah. know, later on. But he wow. lived till he was. You know, he lived a tremendous life. He lived till he was about eighty plus years old. Um, 
But I, it was though it was losing those two people, very influential people in my life, to really look back and be like, yo, I'm looking around, and I always grew up in a house full of women. Mm-hmm. My mom, my grandmother, my, my my younger sister. I have a daughter. Obviously, you know, significant others. I, you, I was always just around women. Now I'm looking around. I'm like, yo, I'm the man of the house. Mm. I got to take care of everyone. I have to make sure everyone is good. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that clicked for me. And I was like, when I get back to school, I'm going to bust my ass. I'm going to make sure I get do what I need to do to get right. Because now people are depending on me to be great and depending on me for their livelihoods. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I had to, if it wasn't the league, I had to come out and get a good job and make sure I take care of moms and make sure I was the one providing. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's where we are. But that's a big choice, right? We can we can also be like, yo, shit's fucked up. Mm-hmm. I got to go stay home, mm-hmm. get a job, and do that. Exactly. Right? Like, what motive... Especially at 20 years old. What, that's 20 what I'm saying, old, but that's yeah. an easy thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. That's it's easy to just say, nah, this is my responsibility. I'm gonna go work. Exactly. And just take a job. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Right? Was there somebody that told you to keep going in school? Was there somebody that pushed you to that? Or did you find that within yourself and say, like, look, this is my plan. I'm gonna go back to school, I'm gonna get good grades, I'm gonna graduate, and then I'm gonna get a job or I'm gonna get it to the league? Mm-hmm. Like, what did you It was definitely both. It was like my mom obviously, like, yo, you need to figure you need to figure this out. You need to either go back to school. And get your degree and apply yourself because it was two strikes against me anyway. If I failed that one more time, it was a wrap. Um, or you just need to stay home and figure it out and figure out what your career path is going to be. And I was like, and it, and a lot of it was on me too. It was just being like, man, I cannot. Cu-. It, it was so embarrassing for me getting kicked out those two times because mm-hmm. I, both times I took community college courses, excuse me, community college courses in Patterson. Okay, so I'm so seeing everybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm making up lies. Yo, why are you here, bro? I was like, oh, they let me, you know, they let me do my second semester here. I spoke to coach, and like, I'm just making shit up. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm embarrassed, and yeah. I don't want to be here. I felt like I worked so hard to get out of here and go to school somewhere and get an education. I didn't want to be another statistic. You know how many guys that have played sports that are be- that were better than me? Yep. Better than me. I can honestly sit here and tell you they're better than me and didn't apply themselves in college or flunked out four times and were given, you know, an abundant amount of chances and still screwed it up. Like, I didn't want to be that story, man. I was like, that was the only thing for me. If I if I just graduated with a degree and a job, I, I succeeded. I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I didn't become that statistic. I'm good. I can come back to Patterson and people will love me. Um, but it was that, it was a multitude of my mom and, and that that switch just clicking in my brain and in my body like, okay, you got to do this now. Yep. So you get back to school you fucking kill it those last two years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. graduate, but then you go and draft it. Mm-hmm. But you said you knew that. I knew that. I knew I wasn't 6'3", 240, like the prototypical LSU or, you know, Notre Dame Alabama. type of, yeah, exactly, <laughs> type of guy. I knew, like, my numbers were good. I knew I was quick. I knew I was fast. I knew I could catch. I just had to go out there and prove it. And I knew that. I was like, you know what? I know I'm not going to, I'm going to watch the draft. I watch all three horrible days of it. <laughs> And my mom was nervous. She like sweeping the house a hundred times. Like, ma, you can put the broom down. <laughs> um, and then right after that draft, I got a phone call from Chris Pettit. I'll never forget it. Chris Pettit from the Giants. He's a talent scout for the East Coast. And he calls me and he goes, uh, he goes, are you excited to be a New York Giant? Well, my agent called me first and he gave me my options. And I was like, well, I'm the Giants, duh. Like, And mind you, the Giants at the time were stacked. Steve Smith, Hakeem Nix, Ramses Barton, Mario Manningham, Sonoris Moss, like stacked. stacked. Yeah. So I was just like, I gotta if I don't, I gotta at least try to do this at the crib. Like I if there's nothing else I've ever done, yep. I'm gonna try to do this at the crib. Because yep. if I do it here, right in your backyard. <laughs> right in the crib would be crazy. Um so that's why I chose the Giants and I was gonna just, you know, try my luck. And then slowly between injuries and just, you know, proving myself and then like just being at the right place at the right time. I just got my shot, man, and, and I took advantage of so it. So before we get into all that, though, but you get there, right? So mm-hmm. you're undrafted. Okay. Are the looks different when you're an undrafted player? Are there a vibe different? If people oh, a thousand percent. Guys don't even know who you are. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, it's only your little crew of, of rookies that, you know, y'all be together, y'all stay in the hotel together. Yep. You know, they know who you are, but I walk past O.C. Umanyar, he's like, what up, young blood? Like... <laughs> what you looking at? Like, you know, go outside. I see Justin Tuck. He, he has no idea who I am. You know, he, nor does he care at the moment. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
they had already other things to do and other things to worry about at the time that they were, you know, and I'm looking at them. We didn't even have normal lockers. We didn't have the lockers they had. We were in the middle in like some gym lockers. Uh, they already had their lockers that they had for being veterans and whatever the case may be. And we're in the middle, like looking at them like, damn, I want one of those lockers. Those are fly. You know, nice wooden joints, floor to ceiling. You got your outlet where you could charge your phone. We didn't have none of that. We had a blue <laughs> high school locker with a stool in front of it. But I still remember like, Taking a picture of the back of my jersey and my helmet, like because it had the number three on it with Cruz on the back. Yeah. Never had in any field, whether literally basketball, baseball, football. I never had a jersey with a name on the back of it until uh. I got to the league. So now I'm looking at it like yo, I'm in the NFL, dog, and my name is on the back of here, and it says Cruz, which means I'm the most Spanish nigga out here, <laughs> and they can't do nothing about it. Like you know Hell what I mean? Yeah. And I got to go out here and prove myself and prove that I not only did they make the right choice, but I belong here and I want to stay here. And this is my, you know, I want to make this home. I mean, that's a mixed bag of emotions to deal with, though. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you got it's super intense. Mm-hmm. It ain't like you walking in there and people are hugging and like, hey, mm-hmm. brother, come on. Nah, hey, I'm trying to take your spot. Your spot, exactly. I'm trying to knock you out. Yeah. I want your job. Yeah. I want to be on your, where you're at. And they're yeah. all looking at you like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, beat it. Yep. Right? And But at the same time, it's a brotherhood. It's a family. It, it, it's, it's so crazy it's how so, this NFL thing right? works. Yeah. And, and, but that, so that's my point. It's like you think, right, from, from the outside. I never had a dream of being a professional athlete. I knew that wasn't happening mm-hmm. for me. But I idolized tons of athletes, and we look up in, in the strength and the fortitude and the, the commitment and everything it takes to be an athlete. So we think from the outside, oh, you're there. Yep. You're successful. You're good now. You're protected. You ain't got nothing to worry about. But that ain't what it's like when you get in there. You got to fight for everything. It's so stressful, dog. Like, it's people don't that- understand, right, like, I remember talking to my, my college receiver coach, and I was like, yo, what am I going to have to do to, like, make this team? Like, what am I, like, yeah, I could run, jump, catch, but, like, what can separate me from everybody else? He was like, you know what you got to do? You got to make one wow play mm-hmm. every single day. Every single practice, you have to make one play that makes that when the coaching staff either sees it on that field or they go back and look at it on tape, yep. they're going to be like, oh, shit, he can play. Mm-hmm. Like, he can do something. He can, if he if not for us, he can go out there and play some football for somebody. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, "All right, coach, I'll I'll try." Like I don't, and then, but slowly, like I just kept putting my best foot forward. I kept making wild plays. I'm in practice, like catching stuff over. I'm shocking myself. I've never been. I knew I was fast, but the way I was blown by people my freshman, and, you know, my rookie year in the league and in practice before I even before we even got into a game in practice, I'm like, yo. Either I just want this really bad yeah. or God just put, like, some boosters in my hamstrings, like, right when I got here and, like, I'm grateful for it. You know what I'm saying? So, but every single day you got to beat out. I mean, every camp there's, like, 11 dudes and, you know, receivers alone. In your position. At my position. Yeah. <laughs> Only three of them play. Yep. Only two of them start. Yep. Like, you know what I'm saying? You got to go through this whole process of, okay, and in your mind you know, okay, I'm better than him. Okay, I see myself climbing up the up the depth chart. Coach is calling my name earlier. Okay, now they must like me. They put me, or they want me to run this play, or they must like. So you see these little things happening, yeah. and you're like, okay, they like me. I just got to keep proving myself. And then coach will tell you, yo, special teams, make sure you focus on special teams. Okay, bet I got to focus on special teams. So as you're going through it, your stress level is like rising because not only are you pressured to go out there and make a wild play every day, but now you're pressured to like, okay, I got to be good in special teams because that's my end on this team. Mm. Then I can go from there. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Okay, ooh, I, I can't forget none of these plays. I got to prove that I can that I can learn these plays on the fly. Mind you, they give me... Yo, we go... We, we, we put in new plays that morning and then we got to go practice them. Like, as a rookie, you just learned to play three hours ago and now you got to go practice those plays you just learned? Yeah. And know multiple positions, perhaps? So it was just like... It was crash courses at night, man, just by myself, like, highlighting, okay, let me close my eyes, okay, this is play. And I wanted to know what everybody did, because if I knew mm. what everybody did, I knew I was good. So it was just all these different things that, uh, you know, that happened throughout that process that just make that thing super stressful. And guys don't last. Some guys, not, I've seen guys quit. Not for guys, long, right? NFL yeah, stands for not for long. 100%. You know? And it feels like, like I mean, the, just the intensity of that game in general, like, that's, it's got to be one of the hardest sports. Mm-hmm. As far as just the intensity, the velocity, the impacts, the, the kind of anger, almost the chip you got to play with on your shoulder. And like, <laughs> I don't even know how to ask this one. It's like, how do you like turn that on and off 
and and balance that shit in real life and in every situation with each different like because you're looking at somebody across the line from you and you're like I'm gonna fucking I'm make you look crazy right now exactly but then you gotta come back to the coach and be like explain everything and, and be on point yeah, yeah. and and then you got quarterback make sure you listen to him mm-hmm. it, it's a lot it's yo. a lot especially throughout the course of a game you just have to you know you, you gotta be you gotta be like a what that's why you know football gets all these comparisons to like warriors and like war and like you know, samurais. And they used to always use these different analogies with us, like, in you know, when we were preparing for teams and things like that to get us in a mindset of what we are and what we want to be. And because it's 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 so much, it's so mental, this game. Yeah. You know what I mean? The physical is the physical. You're Everybody's big, fast, strong, and yep. all of that. But the mental aspect of this game is what sets you apart. If you, if you know, okay, I lined up in the slot on the right side on the 25-yard line, on two separate times, and they play this coverage. Yep. The third time, they're gonna play this coverage again. How do? And I'm gonna tell coach, hey coach, they went cover two every time we was on the 25. The last two drives, the next time we're on the 25 and it's third and this, they're gonna be in this for sure. And he'll go in and be like, okay, he's probably right, or I'm probably wrong. And he's <laughs> for real. But that's the give and take. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then he'll look at his joint. He was like, okay, he's probably right. You know, the last three times we were on the 25, they went, you know, you know. Uh, two man Let's call this The next time we're there Then you make that adjustment Then boom You see a 65 yard touchdown But people only see The 65 yard mm-hmm. touchdown mm-hmm. People don't see The two series before that Where we set that up You yeah. know what I'm saying Like people always see The double move For the touchdown But you don't see The six slants That we ran mm-hmm. And we threw the ball there And now he like Oh it's slant again And then boom, hit that we over the top out, yeah. yeah exactly So it's very much mental Very much mental And then Did you guys have like Group Meetings with like receivers and everything else, where you guys would speak on that, those kind of aspects. The good teams do. And then would you also like, are there outside things where you're like building? And I mean, you know, there's quarterbacks obviously that take their whole line out and everybody can take care of them and do all of that. 100%. So it's both of those things, right? So one of them is Eli specifically had a meeting every Friday. Friday was like our shorter day, which is green zone. Uh, it was green zone and, and red zone. So mm-hmm. green zone is when you're inside the 20, and then red zone is when you're, like, about to score. You're inside the 10. You normally have your bigger guys in or whatever the case. We practice that. So right after that, it was a shorter day. We're done, like, 1.30. He'll have a meeting right after that, and he'll go over what he sees, you know, what mm-hmm. his little nuances to the game are for that specific week. So he'll see, you know, Richard Sherman is playing cover three here. He likes to do this, so we're going to attack him with this, and he'll show it on film. He'll go through, like, ten plays of what he's thinking. And so now we're taking notes, and we see what he's thinking. So now when we see this out on the field, we're like, okay, we know what Eli's thinking. Boom, now we're a step ahead. I think that's what made us so good, like, during that Super Bowl run. Yep. We were we were on point with everything. We knew what was coming. We knew what was, you know, Eli was adjusting things at the line. We all knew. We Everybody was on the same page and that energy was just drove us to the Super Bowl, obviously. And then, um, and then obviously after that, <clears throat> it, it's just those little nuances that Eli taught us that really kept us going throughout the game and kept us and kept us going. And then obviously dinners, we had a dinner every Friday. Oh, like that. we would go out every <laughs> Friday, wherever it was, as a group. Whether whether Eli wanted, uh, Eli joined us, I think twice. Uh, one was in London when we played in London. He came <laughs> and joined us for the receiver dinner. And uh, but we just use that to just get to know each other, man, yeah, and, yeah. and just get to know each other's likes and dislikes, and that made us closer as a family, as a team, because not only did we become teammates, uh, we become brothers after yep. that, right? We got each other's back. Nobody's gonna talk crazy to you. Nobody's gonna put their hands on you while they're on this field. As long as it's between these lines and it's you know the right play and the right thing to do. Outside of that, nobody's gonna mess with us because we're a tight knit family over here. Yeah, I mean, you guys have after a while got to know what you're gonna do. The next person's gonna do exactly all them signals on the field, mm-hmm. little nods and mm-hmm. all that. Yeah, what was it like um, going across the middle the first time? Yeah, you know? scary, <laughs> uh, very scary. And, and like, like, how do you get up from that? That first time you kind of get. But it's weird because you know that people always say going across the middle is this, and uh, but you're just doing your job. You know what I mean? You don't think about it as much as like. I'm going across the middle and I might meet X and he might take my head off. It's like, okay, it's cover two. He's on my outside leverage. I got to break in. I see the safety right there, but my job is to break break in and be as flat as possible so when the ball comes, I can catch it, absorb the hit, and, and, and keep it moving. So I think I just – my biggest thing was doing a good job of seeing 
the guys that are closest to me before I even turn for the football so that I can know where the hit is coming from and kind of bear it and know where, you know, brace myself for it a little bit. But there are, you know, there's been a couple of times where you kind of get blindsided a little bit and those hurt. I mean, I mean, that's not, a, not easy. it's a tough one. I mean, you're watching it as a, as a, as a spectator, yo. Mm-hmm. I'm shit's is, it looks crazy, it's, yo. It really and it, does. And it's like, you can tell the person's like, you know they're going for that. And mm-hmm. that's that safety's dream. Yep. <laughs> it's like, catch you, his <laughs> eyes get big, like, oh, you coming across the middle? Yeah. And his eyes get big and he takes that sprint towards you. And you got to understand that. And I think that's, you know, those collisions are what's crazy in this game today. I, I think they've just gotten crazier, you know, mm-hmm. as the years have gone on. But I mean, but that's kind of shit we go through in life, right? You go through those collisions in life and you got to exactly. go take those chances and you yep. got to go across the middle yep. to kind of, you know, get to your goal or whatever you're going 100%. towards, right? So obviously 100%. use that as an analogy, but... And you can't be fearful. And you can, like, you yeah, know what I mean? That's right? the biggest thing, to take those risks, coming across that middle or starting a new venture or whatever it is you're doing. You can't have any fear. But how do you combat that fear, right? Mm-hmm. How do you not allow fear to that that to be to create be scared, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be scared going over the middle. I'm doing like you said. I'm doing my job. Mm-hmm. I want to do my job with confidence. I want to do my job efficiently. Mm-hmm. I want to do my sh- job as good as I can, yeah. right? And if I put fear into that, that shit ain't happening. Exactly. Know? Like fear in football is tough. You better not be scared out there. I but I feel that. like you see it. Yeah. Right, you do. And, you do, and you see it in a lot of quarterback size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> but that's when that trust comes in, right? You gotta just like you know, you gotta trust that Eli is gonna put the ball in the right spot, and even if he sees the safety coming, he'll put it low so you can just catch it and get down, not take a big collision. But that's the good quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Uh, all the quarterbacks aren't like that. That's like a what, you know, ten percent of the league is like that. Um, so I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely some fear. Uh, going through there, but you again, that's your job. That's your job. You, know, so you, you have to do it. And so you just at that point where it's like, yo, that's just that's what it comes. I mean, I guess it, it, I, again, I can't relate because I look at that shit and I'm like, yo, I ain't mm-hmm. going across that middle, bro. <laughs> give me, give me that two move and we'll out over the top. Exactly. And keep me on the, keep, keep me, me on, on the, the lines. Yeah, yeah, keep me on the lines, <laughs> bro. Um, your first touchdown, man. What was that like? Mm, man, I mean, <laughs> New York Football Giants. First first preseason game against uh, against the New York Jets, and I had to you know I was a young cat, so I had to wait to the third quarter to get in the game. <laughs> Mind you, there's like not a lot of people. I mean, there's people at the game, but it ain't you know people have left already. They've seen their favorites and they're they're ready to go. And beginning of the third quarter, I'm in the game, and they call like double hitch or something. But hitches, if you get press man coverage, they convert to a go. Mm-hmm. So I line up. I'm like, all right, about to run this hitch. I look up. I'm like, oh, he's Impressive. pressing me. <laughs> oh, man, I got to convert this thing, and I might get the ball. And all of this is happening. I'm at the line. So you're thinking all of this. All of this, I'm at the line. I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm going to have to convert. I know my man Jim Sorgi. He loves me. He's been throwing me to rock in practice. He's going to throw me to rock. I knew this already. So I I shake him, whatever. He's kind of He's kind of pinned on my inside. And I'm running, and I look up, and I'm like, he threw the ball. <laughs> and I look up, and I'm like, yo, I might not get to this. And I'm kind of looking at it, and the guy's kind of draped on me. And I literally jump, put one hand out there, sticks to my palm. I stumble, he falls, and I'm like, all the time I stumble, I'm like, Vic, you better not fall. You better <laughs> not fall. And then I got up, and I look back, and I was like, I'm about to score this touchdown, dog. And this was pre-salsa. This is before the salsa. I remember everything just going completely radio silent, and I'm in the end zone like, oh, my God. I just scored a touchdown for the New York Football Giants as an undrafted free agent, wearing a number that nobody knows, wearing a name that nobody knows, and now everybody's going to know me after this. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was the biggest thing. Like, LeBron randomly was watching the game, and he tweeted, like, y'all don't know who this who this Cruz yeah. kid is, but he's got a job after Like, just so crazy. After that, and then I went on to have two more touchdowns that game, and it was just like, this is insane. And at that point, were you like, I'm good now, or was it time to work harder? No, I I, I knew that I was good for that day. Like, <laughs> after that day was over, I was like, yo, I'm, I don't want to go to sleep because this, I don't want this day to be over. But I knew, like, a lot more has to happen. I, I have to work extremely hard. I'm still not a starter. I'm still not, you know, I, I don't even know if I'm on the team, really, on the, in, in that moment. I knew I, my chances were very, very high. But I didn't even think I was on a team. You know, I'm still thinking I'm undrafted. I got to work. Yep. Um, so I knew that there was still a lot more work to be done. and uh, But I knew I was, I knew I, my foundation was set. 
when you finally made the team, who was like that first person that kind of like took you under your wing? Uh, first person, I, I think uh, one of my closest friends on the team, especially throughout that time, was Justin Tuck. Justin Tuck. Uh, yeah. He was a guy that just, you know, the, the the sheer epitome of what a New York Giant is. And, uh, and I think he saw a little bit of that in me. And plus, I think he also admired my sneaker collection, ah, uh, which yeah. I think was the underlying, you know, microcosm <laughs> of all this. Uh, we used to have battles, too. Like, yo, yeah. when you, it's Jordan 3 week. Let's see all your Jordans this week. <laughs> uh, so it was, it, it was cool. We used to do things like that. But I think him just taking me under his wing and being like, yo, you know, sometimes he'd be like, you know, he'll just give me tidbits about yeah. playing in New York, what it's about going to Nick games and being a part of that cloth and all of that fun stuff. It was just, you know, I learned so much from him, um, just how to carry yourself and how to be a giant. So how to really kind of be a professional athlete. Exactly. What's expected of you when you're out? Especially it. being a giant, because so much is expected of you when you're out of that uniform, more so than when you're in it. You know what I mean? When they, people see you in the streets and they approach you, and, they, you know, that comes along with being a giant also not just what comes, um, you know, the responsibility that comes from you just being an athlete on the field. That's tough, man. New York's a tough city. Tell me about it. Was, was, I mean, yeah, New York is nuts. You, you guys have the most, we have the most critics here. Mm -hmm. You guys have to always perform the best. Yeah. You're always expected to win. They love you when you're up. Oh. And they hate you when you're down. And they'll let you know. And they let you and know. And they definitely let you know. No, and now the people let you know. You walk around New York, they be like, yo, what's up, bro? Yeah, like, yeah. and I'm just like, what are you talking about? And I'm, he's like, yo, y'all lost this week. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm thinking you, <laughs> I'm thinking you talking about something else. You really talk about football to me out here in the streets? <laughs> we talking and about football like, in the streets? And they're like, yep. Yeah, they yeah. expect that. You go to Jesse. other cities, they fucking, they put everybody on a pedestal. It's crazy, They man. see you outside. Oh, it's so great to see you. You guys going to do better next week. Yeah, they're like, exactly. fuck you, bro. I'm the season ticket holder. Like, I expect the championship. Yo, they just come, <laughs> what's up with Eli, man? What's up with, and I'm just like. I don't know. He had a bad game. What do you, everybody has a bad game. Like, what do you want? What do you want me to do? And then the next week, Eli throws for three touchdowns, four touchdowns, and a win. Now Eli's great. Everybody loves him again. It's, it's amazing. This city is one of the most amazing cities in the world for sure. Did that ever change your personal life? Like how you moved around? No, never. I didn't. I never let it affect me. I, I, I mean, I always, obviously, always moved smart. I always knew, you know, where to go, where not to go, what things to do, timing. You got to have that feel for some of those things too, but. I, I can't let that those critics and the things people say. I can't let that affect me because if, if you did, you'd be you'd be dead. Yeah, you know what be, I mean. You'd be done over be done. and over and over. Yeah, repeatedly because they build you up, and you get enticed in that, and you're like, okay, they love me now. And then when they break you down, and it's real, you got to be able to, to oh, it's, fight it's that. Real. It's real. It's real. Yeah, and they and do it. I mean, that too. especially now with all of the noise, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe like all the noise of media. So you have real media mm -hmm. and. You know, your ESPNs and everybody else is covering you guys on a regular. But then you got, like, bloggers and everybody else and all these fans. And then you got social media. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I mean, social media, do you have to, like, take breaks from it or not pay attention to certain things? Or do you guys just get such a thick skin where it's just like... Man, I like, laugh at it so much. It, it's just like... Because I know the thing that drives me is whenever I get a negative comment, which I'm, I'm thankful or fortunate, I don't get a lot. I don't get a lot of crazy, crazy talk. Um, but when people do say those things or crazy things or talk crazy to you or, you know, curse at you or try to say, these are the same people that would see you in public yep. and be like, can I have a photo? Or would love to interact with you in any way, shape, or form and, and, and have a positive interaction. 100%. They're not, they're, they won't come hey, up to you. Bowing down, like, yeah, I love you. So if you, I knew, I always carried that in my mind, like, this guy is talking crazy on, you know, on his Twitter app, but he's the same guy that would see me and it'd be all love. So, like... I carry that mindset with everything that I see. I don't let it. Get, I don't let it affect me. Although breaks are definitely encouraged from social media. Because breaks from social media. I just I look at my phone way too way too much. I mean breaks are. I mean breaks from a lot of things. A lot of things. Yeah, are, are, are good. That too, that we too. we we a lot of times don't do breaks, and you know, we we're greedy, man. Yeah, exactly. we, we we build up and get what we want, and we keep wanting this shit. You yeah. Know? Um, so the touchdown dance, man. The salsa. Uh -huh. I'm not honor your grandmother. <laughs> that came out the blue, or was that a planned like I'm gonna do this? And um, it wasn't planned by me, that's for sure. So we had Mike Sullivan, who was our quarterbacks coach at the time in 2011. He's Mexican American. Wait, wait, hold on. He, you had a coach help you with a a, a touchdown well, not celebration? Not help me. Let me tell. You, let me tell you a story. <laughs> so he's Mexican American, right? And 
this is that same year or the next year rather, right after the because that year where I caught the touchdowns at the Jets, I got I was on injury reserve. So the next year yep. when we won the Super Bowl, um, I was there and I was a starter and whatnot. And then I was getting my first start week three. I hadn't started. I played the first two games, but I hadn't started. A couple injuries happened. I think Mara Manningham went down, and then I came in and and played that that first week. So I was getting my first start, and Coach Sullivan was like, "Yo, bro, you know, you know, you getting that end zone. You gotta show him what's up." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? I'm like, what do you mean show him what's up? I'm trying to make sure I catch every football that goes my way, <laughs> and we'll go from there." And um and he was like, uh, he was like, "Nah, you getting that end zone? You gotta you gotta dance. You gotta do some salsa. You know, you gotta do it. Like Puerto Rico, everybody's watching." I'm like, Coach, if you don't back up for me talking about <laughs> dancing in the end zone, what? Like, I don't even think – I just want to catch the ball. I'm not even thinking I'm going to get a touchdown. I'm not even thinking whatever. So, long story short, we get to the game. I'm warming up. He's looking at me like, you know what's up. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Coach, I'll do it. Like, whatever. Like, thinking, you know, I'm not going to score in this game. I want to win, but the likelihood of me scoring was like – I just thought it was just slim. First ball thrown my way. I catch the ball – about 10 yards from the line of scrimmage, I shake one guy off. I'm running. I see another guy about to tackle me. I shake him, and I'm running, and I'm at the three-yard line in Philly. This is in Philadelphia, and I look up, and I'm like, I got to do this dance now. I'm about to score. <laughs> and I was so pumped, and I put the ball down, and the Philly fans was looking at me crazy, and I was like, I'm going to do this dance now, and I just break it out, and I'm dancing. I'm doing it over and over, and I'm yelling, and um, and everybody's like, yo, that you know, everybody on the sideline was like, what was that? Like, what was that? What'd you just do in the end zone? I was like, bro, I just did a little salsa. That's my thing. Like, whatever. And then, and then the second, you know, I scored again that game, a, a huge bomb over, over like two people scored. And that was just sheer excitement. I just jumped up. I didn't even do the salsa the second time. I just jumped up. I didn't even know what to think. First start, I had four catches, 102 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that ratio was just insane. Um, but then I got home. My grandmother, who was still alive at the time, God bless her, God bless her soul, calls me and was like, "What was that? I saw what you did." Like, the, I guess her girls were sending her videos, like from, you know, the home <laughs> that she was in. And I was like, "Yeah, well, I did the dance. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is what I'm gonna do. I guess. I mean, this it came natural." She was like, "As long as you play football, and as long as you're wearing that uniform and you're scoring touchdowns, you have to do that dance." And I was like, "Oh shit, the mandate." I was like, "Done." I was gonna do it anyway, well, but now, done. And she was like, done. So every that's why every time I did this, every time I scored, man, I had to hit that salsa for him one time. You gonna have a salsa brand eventually? I think so. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna work on it. We'll be teaching salsa classes, all, all types of stuff, man. Has it gotten too much though? Nah, it's, it's, it's cool. I you know I can control it. Obviously, it's all it's all good. It's always now my thing. I, I don't want to give up my thing right now, but <laughs> my thing now is making people dance with me. Mm. Like you're not just gonna be like, mm-hmm. hey, dance. Let yeah. me see it. I'm like, no. no Let's if get you're gonna together. embarrass me, yeah. I'm gonna embarrass you. Yeah, you know, we're gonna do this together. Obviously, women. Like, I'm not. No guys really even ask me, except for like some weirdo in the grocery store one time. But other than that, um, I, think, it's I think I know him. <laughs> <laughs> Probably do. Probably do. Yeah, oh, God. yeah man. That shit was. That's crazy. Crazy. Yo, um, Super Bowl, man. Mm-hmm. What What was that like, yo? Man. Because. Like, y'all had a hell of a run that year. That shit was, like... Insane. Insane, right? It, when you make it there, is there a feeling of relief at all? Or is it, like, you done? Is it the next? Like, what happens? Like, because that's such a big feat. And, like, football to me is... It's up there, probably the hardest, right? Because you got so many people on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, you got 22 players, you know, that have to play, you know, one on your side. It's crazy. It's, it's to, crazy. It's to coordinate all that, the intensity, mm-hmm. the fact that there's only 16 games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot. So, like, I feel like it's like you do that and you're just like, hey, I'm good. So then you look at other people and they just go and go and go. It's exactly. like, how do you keep going? How do you keep that focus after? So I always tell people that, like, the NFC Championship game, the game right before the Super Bowl, is the most physically taxing game because mm-hmm. both teams want to go to that Super Bowl so bad. You can feel it with every possession, with every catch, with every down, with every tackle. Like, you feel that energy from everyone trying to go to that big game, that Super Bowl game. And then when you get to the Super Bowl, 
it's the most emotionally taxing game because mm. it's just like all week it's like the media and the news and your parents and your mom and your family's there and your friends and your dinners and your it's just so much that yep. goes into it even before you play the game yeah. by the time you play the game you're like whew thank god we finally, finally got I'm to comfortable. this game yeah, now I'm, I'm good I'm where like, I'm supposed to be this yeah, is what I'm supposed to do I don't gotta worry about nothing yep. now I'm, I'm at the game we good and then even in the game it's the most um, even throughout the game it's just emotional cause you're like yo this is the biggest game I'm ever going to play in to date. Up until this yep. date, that day of the Super Bowl is the biggest game you're ever going to play in. And you're con- you're constantly reminding yourself of that. It feels like a regular game until, you, like, you stand in the huddle for a minute and you're like, oh, snap, like, this is, we're in the Super Bowl. This is the yep. show. You know what I'm saying? And that energy, and, and, and then when you win that game, it's like that winning, that feeling, that that ex- exalting feeling from yep. winning that game is just like you want to feel that every year. Mm-hmm. You want to feel, at least me personally, I was like, man, I want one at what twenty four years old. I'm like, I want to feel this every year, bro. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to. Like, I'm like, yo, I'm young. I probably get two, three more Super Bowls. Like, what's up? <laughs> that slowly turned uh, right after <laughs> very next year. It was it was the humbling too because we went nine and seven last that year, made the playoffs, won the Super Bowl. Went nine and seven the next year, didn't even make the playoffs. Yep. So it's so crazy. That's the purest form of what football could be to yep. you. You know what right. I'm saying? Like it's like bipolar. One hundred percent. One year extremes. You, one year you could have the best year, make the Super Bowl, and the next year you could be, you know, like like the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yep. Like they the year before they had what they won one game something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> then you're in the playoffs, about to beat the Patriots to go to the bowl. Like, should have. Should have. Really. Should have. Like <laughs> had crazy, every chance. Man. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that just shows you, you know how football, how football, how crazy the game of football can be. Yeah, no, that's nuts. What's your biggest life lesson you took from football? Biggest life lesson I took from football is um, take advantage of the time you have there. Take advantage of your friendships. Take advantage of the people you meet. Take take advantage of the the bridges that you've created through through football. The friendships. Because, you know, once it's over, it's, it's it's a wrap. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Once your time, your little pocket of time in the NFL or whatever you're, you're doing there is over, it's a wrap. Like, it's really over. So take those friendships and take those relationships that you've created and make sure you enjoy them while you're in that moment. Um, because, you know, you won't get that. You won't be in that locker room anymore. You won't have that... <laughs> Locker room banter with other people. You won't be around. You won't. You got. You know. You you'll be transitioning to whatever else you want to do in life. But those moments, those carefree moments, when you're in a you know a young adult, you're making money and you're having fun with your friends and you know you're taking care of your family and you're just having a good time. Like, and you're playing something that you love to do. You're doing something that you love to do. Like, take advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, and that goes for really everybody. For everybody, yeah. Right? That's Especially not, if you're doing what you love. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, well, we should all find what we love. And that's that's the tough part, right? Exactly. It's finding those things you love, being confident, and then figuring out how to make a living and support yourself off of those things that you love. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, now, we talk sports. And sports have obviously been a love and been a, a huge part of your life. Mm-hmm. What are the other loves in your life? Like, what's your next favorite thing? Uh, my next favorite thing... I have a guess, but... Uh. <laughs> um, I mean, fatherhood is one of them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, my daughter's six years old. She's growing rapidly, and she's... You know, at this age, they're very impressionable. Yep. So you want to be careful, like, what you say, how you say it. You know, I don't even... Obviously, I've I've never hit my daughter, ever. Um, but she knows when, I, when my voice goes to another little octave, mm-hmm. straightens up real quick. Mm-hmm. Like, hold up, daddy hit that other... He hit that other note in his yep. voice. I got to chill. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's just little things like that that, you know, you go through. And fatherhood is definitely one of them. Um, and, and, you know, obviously fashion is definitely one of them is part of it. You know, sneaker game is definitely part of it. It's just so many different things. I was blessed to have, while I was playing, I, I tried to create as, as many revenue streams mm-hmm. for myself as possible. Almost to a fault. People were looking at me like, why are you doing that? You got, you should be focused on football. You should be focused on... I'm like, yeah, but it's it's May 3rd. Like, I don't have yeah, to... Fo- yeah. 
Football's not for another three months. I can do whatever I want. You know yep. what I'm saying? Just because you don't, just because I'm not posting a workout doesn't mean I'm not working out. Doesn't mean I didn't work out today. Yeah, it does. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it does. No, to so them, it does. To social media, yeah. One hundred percent. There's other, there's other wide receivers posting. Look at what these guys are doing. Yeah, I mean, you didn't post you your didn't workout post this morning. What were you out. doing? Were exactly. you sleeping? Yeah. I'm like, bro, I got my workout in. <laughs> I forgot to post it. Sorry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but I just, I've been blessed to just, you know cement myself in so many different categories that, you know, post-career, which I'm not officially retired just yet. I'm still trying to, you know, trying to hang on as much as possible. Um, but, I, you know, once it's really done, I can still have those same revenue streams and still be able to tap into those resources because I did a good job of creating that foundation for myself while I was playing. And that's the only thing I encourage. Whenever I meet younger guys, because... I've had guys be like, yo, man, you're a free agent. How'd you do it? Like, what? tell us a secret. And I'm like, yo, I didn't have no secret, really. I just went out there and played my butt off, showed everybody that I cared about the game. And then once I earned that spot, I made sure that I used that spot, not just as a football player, but as a voice, mm-hmm. as a cultural impact, as and then do things that I love. I love I've always loved fashion. I've always loved clothing. Why not, you know, see where I can expand in that in that regard? I've always loved sneakers. Nike's always been one of my favorite brands in the world. Why not see how, you know, I can cultivate a sneaker out of that? And, you know, just checking all these different things off allow me to have brand presence for other brands, even post-career, to be like, oh, we want to work with him because he's a good person, he understands his own brand, and he understands exactly how to move and and treat others and he's a nice guy and you know I wanted all these positive things for people to say about me yep. and you know that has turned into multiple things um not just while I was playing but now that you know I haven't played in a few months so did somebody put you in that position and and cuz you definitely set yourself up for the transition you know like mm-hmm. like again you're not retired but you could tell you were that was in your mind mm-hmm. and you were getting sure. ready because again a lot of people end their careers without any grace mm-hmm. and disappear. Yeah. And you don't hear from them again, and then they're just in their local town. And then and- you see them, like, 15 years later at the reunion, at the Super Bowl reunion or at, like, the job, and they're, like, 20 pounds lighter, and you're like, yo, are you good? Yeah. Like, and they say that because they haven't seen you. Like, they, you know, you could be perfectly healthy and you're chilling and you're fine, but they just haven't seen you and you're 35 pounds lighter and it's just like, oh, something ain't right. You yep. know what I mean? But I never wanted to be that. I always wanted to be present. I always wanted to do things that were, you know, very present in the community. I mean, f- philanthropic work for me is always fun and things that I want to do with with children at the Boys and Girls Club specifically as of right now. And, like, I always just wanted to do things. And, and I always wanted to be a part of something bigger. I knew that fo- – fo- it's weird. I think I knew without knowing it that football was just – a platform mm-hmm. for me to do other things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was great at it and I love it. I still love it. Obviously, it's it's in my blood. I've been playing since I was, you know, six years old. Um, but I knew that this was like, even subconsciously, I think, it was like, okay, this is my platform for right now. Mm-hmm. But I know that this is, there's something bigger. There felt like there's something bigger for me that this is going to help me get to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I mean, that takes a lot of trust mm-hmm. and confidence in yourself, right? You know, we all say trust the process and everything else, exactly. right? But a lot of us don't see the process. A lot of us see everything as a failure, yep. right? And every time you fall down, it's like I failed and I put myself down. But you got to keep getting up and keep, you know, attacking. Um, what's What's your favorite thing you're about to do right now? Like, what's the next big project? Oh, man, next big project. That you can talk about, I mean... If the next big project that I can talk about, I can't get into too much detail, but I can say that it's helping. Um, it's basically a um, kind of something to help. There's a row of uh, of of churches in in Queens, in Jamaica, Queens, and they reached out to me to kind of be the face of this large project that they're doing to basically add different things to these different churches. Like one church wants a rec center for their kids to get off the streets. One, one uh, church has a parking issue, so they're gonna build a parking garage for them. One church uh, wants to build their children's ministry, and they're gonna help them build that out. And they want me to be the face of this great, large, um, this project that they're doing with all these different churches. And I think just from a philanthropy effort, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I that I'm excited about right now because it's helping people. It's 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 showing 
different sides of me. People don't yep. really know a lot. People know I'm into you know uh, philanthropy and helping kids and things like that through through my Victor Cruz Foundation, yep. but they don't know the severity of it and how big it is. And this is bigger, probably bigger than anything I've done um, individually to date. Um, and I'm excited about that. And, and uh, you know, that'll be happening within the next, you know, year or so. That's dope, man. Yeah. I mean, community is important. Absolutely. I feel like we're losing that that aspect of the village. And, you know, that's part of why we want to do this podcast was just to, I mean, have the conversation, you know, mm-hmm. and just open it up. I mean, it's in, like you're saying before, it's in people's music, mm-hmm. right? Um, obviously, there's, there's movies and documentaries and we see people, um, you know, going through things. But it's always an extreme, right? And let's have these talks before they get extreme. Exactly. Let's 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 make these things a little bit less awkward. Because again, I feel like just having these conversations, people will pull certain things out and then put them in their tool their toolbox, mm-hmm. right? Just little jewels that they may learn. Or the fact that, you know, they just hear that, yeah, I went through adversity, I went through traumatic experiences mm-hmm. and I kept going and I'm good. And like we all can. Exactly. Right? And you just need kind of those positive efforts around you. Mm-hmm. Um What's your circle like right now as far as people? Do you guys talk about these things? you guys talk about failures and or not even, I don't even like to call them failures, experiments and challenges? and? Yeah, we're very know. real, man. We, we always, whether it's our own stories and circumstances or whether it's someone we know, like we always talk about, you know, everything, everything from just, you know, mental health and things like, obviously like DeMar DeRozan and, and, uh, and Kevin Love and things like that. And it was like, man, you wouldn't, I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know these things just by looking at Kevin Love and watching him play. You wouldn't know that he had this depression and had this this thing that he was battling. And and for DeMar DeRozan to know this and to be like, yo, you need to talk about this. You need to raise awareness around this. And I think it's amazing for them to do that. And, and, and you know, you don't, you don't know about these things until somebody says it. And it's always that... And, and, and like you said, you want to have that conversation now. You want yeah. to pre- have the preventative mm-hmm. conversation, not the, you want to be, you know, you, you don't want to be reactive. You want to be proactive. Yeah. You don't want to react to somebody dying because of a mental health issue. You want to be proactive and be like, yo, I see some things that are wrong with him. Let me pull him to the side and see if I can help him now. Similar to DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love. We don't know what would have happened if DeMar didn't encourage him yep. and tell and tell him, like, yo, people need to hear this story about you. People need to know this side of you. It'll only help you in the long run. If he didn't do that, who knows what would have happened to Kevin Love? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Um, I mean, because there's, there's not a place. There's not a platform. And, and again... I think people feel vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. I think I was that's just about to say that's that, yeah. like the big word, right? Mm-hmm. But we're all we all need each other. We all need help. We're all connected in some way because we're all energy beings. We're all created. Like mm-hmm. we're all there. So and we used to be a village. We used to be communal. And we we kind of yearn for that. But I think with social media, we're so easy and quick to tear people down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and to point a finger and, and to laugh at people and to make people feel bad instead of it being like nah, yo, I went through some shit like that or whatever it is and I have these feelings and, and it's okay. Now that you feel like that, now what? Exactly. And, and talk through that shit yep. and, you know, and really be a support group. Um, to round it out, yo, what advice would you give your younger self that would prepare you for something you weren't prepared for? Oh, man. Like, like a big experience in life. Um, the advice I would give to my younger self and, is... And when? And at what age? I would give this advice to myself right before middle school, like sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade. And I would say, take advantage of every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there were certain things because of, you know, how good I was or how good I felt I was in certain sports that I took, of, you know, I, I took a lot of things for granted. You, you know, just as a kid growing up, I, mean, I ain't going to do that. I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm going to do this instead or whatever the case may be. So... My biggest thing is just take advantage of every opportunity. Look at every everyone that says something positive in your life. Take advantage of it. Use it. Apply it. Because I learned it late, and then I started to apply these things that, you know, people of influence would tell me, whether it be my godfather, my high school coach, my mom. I started to apply these things later and be like, wow, they were right. When I Once I started to apply myself in college and be like, yo, you need to figure out how to get through college. College isn't like, okay, I'm going to sit down and, do all this work and figure it out. It's like kids figure it out, whether it's using your resources, going to the library or, you know, whatever you got to do to figure it out. Kids figure it out. Kids that are not as smart as you have figured it out. Mm -hmm. And I started to use that later on in life. And it was like, man, it it changed my life once I started to apply the things that were being said to me. 
That's dope. You know what I'm saying? Who is the most unexpected influence in your life? Like, like, all right, so my father told me one time, it was like this quote, the most um, ignorant person on this planet knows something that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? That's true. And it just, it, it opened me up to kind of be like, all right, I can learn something from anybody, and if life is about learning, like, mm-hmm. I should at least give everybody a chance. Yep. Right? Because you never know. Exactly. 100%. I think the, the, the biggest person for me was, um, I think it was my dad. I mean, my dad passed away. When I was 20 years old. But prior to that, he was always like, he was always a person that wanted to teach me right from wrong. He taught me how to be a man. He taught me how to how to move a certain way, how to, you know, how to gain respect from people by staying true to your word, being honest and, and being an upstanding person and facing the fire when you're wrong too. Like he taught me how to be a man. And and I think those things are are, are pretty invaluable um uh, when it comes to growing and when it comes to actually becoming a man. I think yeah. the things that he was teaching me, I, I understood and learned, but it wasn't until I actually had to become a man till I applied it all. Mm-hmm. And I think those things that he taught me and those little words and those little, half of it, you know, half of it wasn't even words. It was just watching him, mm-hmm. just watching him move and watching how he how he handled his business was like, man, that's commendable. And there, was, there wasn't one place that he went that they didn't love him. Everybody loved him. And everybody, I was like, yo, I want that same love. I don't know mm-hmm. what I got to do to get that love. <laughs> but I'd imagine it's being nice to everybody, being a good person, being honest, being true to your word, to your peers and your brothers and your sisters, and and, and going from there. You know what I'm saying? So how would you define being a man? Like, I would define like, being a man um, is, is being held accountable for the things that you do, no matter good, bad, or indifferent. You... As a man, you have to be okay with being like, yo, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I apologize. How do we move forward from this? Yep. And as a man, you have to be able to notice, you know, when 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 you're wrong. Not just be naive and be like, nah, he was wrong or he he should have did this differently or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's about knowing your own, knowing yourself mm-hmm. and holding yourself accountable to everything that you do, whether it be with your child. You know, if I, I can't, I can't say, hey, Kennedy, I'm going to pick you up later today. And then, like, 7, 8, 9 o'clock rolls around. She's waiting for me. I'm not being held accountable. Because mm-hmm. now she's calling me, Daddy, where you at? I thought you was coming to pick me up. Yep. And now I don't even give... Now I'm, now I'm backed up. Now she's looking at me crazy. Now the next time I say, Kenny, I'm going to pick you up, she's going to be like... She's going to have that little bit of uh-huh. doubt. And I never want my child to have that doubt in her brain. I always want her to know, if Daddy's coming to pick you up, I'm coming to pick you up. If Daddy's going to do X with you or take you here, just know Daddy's going to be there. He's going to be on time and we're going to have fun. Dope. I think that's it, man. I appreciate you, you man. Know, that was fun. Out. I think it was a good one. That was fun. Yeah, am I the first? Am I the first? No. Nah, oh, like, we've had a couple. Like the fourth. Okay, nice. Um, anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to leave kids with um, for people with? No, nah, man, I'm good. I think the biggest thing I want to leave is that, you know, mental illness and, and, and being aware of, of your mental state is something that's very, very important yeah. and something that um, should be taken very, very seriously by yourself. And a lot of times you don't know that you have this mental illness. You're just going about your day-to-day life. And you have to, you know, understand and understand your body and your mind. And, you know, pay attention to the signs, man. That's the biggest thing is there's always signs, whether you want to read them or listen to them or not. um, But pay attention to the signs. Dope. All right, man. Good looks. Thank you, man. Appreciate you.